0: Hey, welcome to another episode of the Stop to Think podcast. This is Chandler, and for this episode, I thought we'd kind of swerve a little bit. The last couple episodes have been kind of focused on more philosophy, psychology, meh, kind of stuff. For this next for the next couple of episodes, I think actually what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus a bit more on technology again to try and balance out all the high-minded crap to put a blunt link that we've been talking about lately. So for this episode, I thought we would talk about the uh, mid to far future of medicine. So near future medicine is in like stuff that we're going to see rolling out within the next couple of years, the next maybe like five to seven years, that time frame. I don't really have much knowledge about any of that stuff because that's kind of the sort of medicine you really see in um, journals and um, current research and that kind of stuff. So it's um, hidden in the weeds is probably a good way to describe it. But if you take a step further out, say to the next 10 to 20, and then the next 25 to 50 years, that's kind of when I have a little bit more, uh, we'll call it background, or more like I'm better read on the topic. So what do we see in medicine in the next, uh, we'll say 10 to 50 years? Well, the answer to that question is somewhat tricky because it depends in large part, obviously, on a complete and utter buttload of external variables. So, obviously, if society collapses within, like, the next 20 years, our estimates for 50-year medical progress are going to be shot, but, um, you know... So for the purpose of this conversation, we're going to assume that everything stays relatively normal, business as usual, and that nothing like detrimental to society occurs. So with those assumptions in place, what are some game-changing medical technologies that we could see entering on the stage? Well, the first one that comes to mind is kind of a byproduct of the good old saying uh, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure with the thought process being that if you catch a problem in its early stages, it's a lot easier to deal with it than if you wait until it's much later staged. And this kind of applies to pretty much all aspects aspects of life. This isn't just strictly related to health. Um, in my personal experiences uh, with uh, mechanical engineering, and Product development It's completely true there. There's this fancy graph on the internet you can look up which is basically a graph of the relative cost of a design change over the project lifestyle like over the project lifecycle sorry As part of the stated last episode words are hard, but um so basically this little graph kind of has a pretty shallow slope Well, the product is in ideation and through its first couple of phases, but as soon as you hit production, any design changes after that point are dramatically much more costly. So the idea is basically that if you fix quality in the early stages of your design, it's gonna be a heck of a lot cheaper than to wait until production to fix your quality problems. Heading back to medical fields, that's kind of one of the biggest areas that we could potentially see major gains over the next 10 to 50 years is in the field the the field of medicine related to diagnostics pretty much so i'm talking like next level screening and like the increased capacity of screening technology so right now Uh, Screening technology is kind of there's there's probably more than this But as far as I'm aware, there's basically two camps. There's like um, Chemistry based and then there's like imagery based so with imagery based you use some sort of electromagnetic wave to Basically bounce off parts of the body to generate an image now in some cases like with an mri MRI, you're probably not specifically using like uh direct electromagnetic waves you're doing some trickery but you know it's kind of it all kind of traces back to the same general phenomenon of using radiation of some sort or radiation detectors of some sort to generate imagery of the body the human body And then the other camp is the chemistry side of things in which um, you basically take like a sample, uh, whether it be blood, urine, hair, DNA, whatever the case may be, and then you process it and generate results that help inform decisions based on what you see in those results. Now, both of these kind of have, pretty big bottlenecks that if we can get past, we can see dramatic, dramatic growth in the potential of diagnostic medical fields, or the diagnostic medical field. So on the chemistry side of things, most lab work, most of those tests, they, they take time, and they take a technician who has a certain amount of skill and background in what the heck they're doing to process. And I guess before we go farther, an interesting thing to think about is that um, I've separated them into two categories, imagery, imagery and uh, chemistry, but fundamentally the two are interconnected and the line between the two eventually could be kind of blurred. Like, it's possible that a person could develop imaging technology that's sophisticated enough to basically um, accomplish the same thing that a chemistry based test could just by looking at like a sample but um i don't know near enough about that to really speak to it but just kind of going off sci-fi-esque thought processes here Uh, with chemistry we obviously have specifically like it related to like genetic processing like genome stuff and Um, kind of like analyzing DNA, we have a pretty big bottleneck because processing and gathering that data requires kind of like a painstakingly long process and a large amount of equipment. So, um... Once again, no expert, but from how I understand the process, like in the case of DNA sequencing or whatever, you basically take a DNA sample and then you have to do some chemistry on it to get the DNA into a readable state. And then at that point, you run it through a machine that goes through and counts all of the various, uh, ah, what are they called? Base pairs on the DNA and then the sequence in which they appear And I think there's millions of them. I don't remember. It's been, what now? It's been about a decade since I've taken a biology class. So, it's been quite a while. Number of base pairs in human genome. So, there's 3 billion base pairs in the human genome. So... What that basically tells you is that when you're gonna sequence someone's DNA, what a machine has to do is first, someone has to prepare the sample and then the machine has to go through and read off three billion basically bits of data at least. Like th- there's three three billion data points that have subsequent data characteristics related to them that a machine has to go through and process. So that takes time and it's probably expensive because I'm sure any machine that can go through three billion of those has to cost quite a bit. And the end result is, of course, that um, a doctor is kind of forced, to a certain extent, to be selective about when they resort to that. And then beyond that, once they do actually resort to it, they're forced to, furthermore, automatically subject their uh, patient or their patient's insurance, whatever the case may be to the cost of bringing in that kind of machine. So person background, of course, all of you are probably aware of this, but the DNA is basically the blueprint of the human body. And so anyone in engineering, mechanical engineering, at least I would think civil too, kind of knows that like when you have a problem with a product, or something you've designed, one of the first things to look at is the blueprints of the design to figure out if there's any inherent flaws in the blueprints and what could potentially be done to fix those. And up to this point, doctors are kind of limited from having that option with DNA because of the amount of time and resources that it takes to go through and process it and to get that information to make it available. So that's potentially one area in which massive improvements could be made to um, speed up the diagnostics process. Is further automation of mechanic- me- medical machinery that basically enables people to, um, you know, rapidly collect the data required for the DNA, and then. I'm going to talk about this a little with imaging imaging too, but um, it's especially useful at this point, at this juncture, as AI, artificial intelligence becomes more and more prevalent, it um, kind of allows like massive amounts of data processing to be offloaded from humans into machines. And... It's at this point that you can kind of see something beautiful that a person doesn't really realize unless they stop to think about it. But, um, so there's this Pareto principle. We talked about this before. Uh, I've referred to it as diminishing returns. It's kind of the same general idea. And the idea is that um, 80% of your results come from 20% of your effort. And the remaining 20% of your results come from 80% additional effort. So basically a little bit of work will get you most of the way there and that takes a lot of work to get that last 20%. So this is kind of an example of diminishing returns. So for the first now uh, we, we could break it up mathematically however you want and it kind of depends on your diminishing return curve exactly. but point I'm getting at here is that um, what's interesting about this is, in regards to human productivity, the top 20% of humankind is likely producing 80% of the results if we believe the Pareto principle, the diminishing returns principle, to be true. And in a medical context, this is especially interesting because it means that the top 20% of the doctors are providing 80% of the cures or something like that or some equivalent point being here basically that um, the quality of medical care you could be receiving could be drastically improved or so we'll set up an example. Actually, that's probably the best way to explain this. So let's say you have two doctors, one is the best in the field and one is the worst in the field. And you get to undergo treatment from one of these doctors, which one do you want to choose? Well, obviously you want the best one in the field. But now let's say that there's 10 patients and that Dr. McDreamy, we'll call him, shout out to Grey's Anatomy. Dr. McDreamy, um, who is the best in the field, is um, limited to basically working, we'll say 12 hours a day. And that each day he can only see like a maximum of 12 patients. So, essentially, now we have way more than 12 patients in the ecosystem who need to see Dr. McDreamy, but he can only handle 12 a day. And the only way you can basically get another doctor to McDreamy quality is by training. And if you have McDreamy start spending time training additional McDreamies, well, then what you end up with is reduced patient capacity because he has to spend time teaching and not just doing patient care. So that, of course, is a problem. And that is one area, one solution that AI can perhaps provide is if you can create an AI that has the aggregate knowledge of all of the best doctors in the field of medicine, and then have this AI basically duplicated and providing all patient care, what you end up with is a situation in which you have the absolute best doctor in existence tending to every single patient in the medical system. And the general idea here is that that's going to promote or push for or result in an overall higher quality of care for all the patients involved. So that's kind of one example where um ai can kind of come in with this genetics thing genome analysis and really all chemistry based testing in general because all the data that's generated from the countless tests that are being run at progressively faster rates can be correlated with the illnesses that the patients who are generating the data have and pretty soon it would be possible with enough data for an ai to basically take your blood test or a blood sample, sequence your DNA from it, and then determine from your DNA, statistically based on its whole body of data, what exactly you're prone to in terms of like potential medical illnesses later down the road. And on top of that, it... um. coupled with um gene therapy which is something that we're going to talk about in the next section a little bit you could potentially alleviate or eliminate your problem your potential medical problems way before they even have a chance to manifest in your life like for instance if the ai goes through your dna and decides oh shit this dude oops, excuse me scrub that you didn't hear that oh crap this dude um this dude looks like he has a 97% likelihood of developing a brain tumor at some point in his life. Well, then the AI could go, hmm, so how could we fix that? Well, if we switch this base pair around and we do this and that and we tweak this here and we tweak that there, we can drop that likelihood from the 90s to like the single digit percentages. And so then through gene therapy, yeah i could devise some sort of special customized vaccine just for you that would basically rewrite your whole entire genetic code throughout your whole entire body to alleviate slash eliminate all the potential um diseases you might come across in your in the remainder of during the remainder of your life so that's kind of one example of like you know how as we are able to scan more and more stuff and gather more and more data and use AI to analyze this data, the possibilities of what we can do with it grow exponentially because instead of just having guesses, we have concrete notions at least of what we can kind of, what what levers we can pull to try and change your outcome. So now I'm flipping back over to imaging. The same can kind of be said for that as well, where you can once again start employing AI in image in the imaging space to offload a lot of the work that humans currently have to do. And so basically it's pretty easy task. The, there's two problems in the imaging sphere. The first problem is that imaging technology is incredibly expensive. So like, yeah, sure, you can get like an ultrasound machine for maybe, actually don't even know what they cost. Give me a second, I'm gonna Google it. How much does a ultrasound machine cost? Ultrasound machine and GE Healthcare. The odds of them actually listing the price on their website, I'm thinking is probably also gonna be in the single digits. Yep, looks like they want them to contact. Looks like GE wants people to contact them directly if they want imaging data. Okay, so it looks like the average price of an ultrasound system is around $115,000 with low-end systems costing $25,000 and high-end systems costing upwards of $250,000. So therein lies a major problem with imaging technology. Ultrasound systems are about as simple as it gets. You're basically, from what I understand, using sound waves and how they respond when they bounce off certain materials to generate an image of whatever you're ultrasounding. If that, at the low end, cheapest possible side of the spectrum is costing $25,000. Yeah, like. That's absurd. That is truly, completely, and utterly absurd. Because, first, like, oh my gosh, I'm just now that I've actually, now that I actually know how much those cost, I'm kind of like flabbergasted. Because, on one hand, it kind of makes sense now why ultrasounds have to be so expensive. Because if you're paying that much money, $250,000 for a machine, you got to charge a lot if you're ever gonna recoup your losses on buying it. But beyond that, like within the case of an ultrasound, in addition to the machine itself, you obviously need like a trained technician and the gel stuff that goes on when you're using an ultrasound and all that junk, which just adds to the overall cost of the whole entire system being used. And so your end result, of course, of doing this is that you have a bottleneck. There is a limit to, um, how much scanning you can possibly do because of how expensive it is and how difficult it is to run the stuff. So one possible improvement that we could see here in the near future in terms of scanning technology would be fully automated scanners that basically run themselves and hopefully over time get cheaper as they go. And the sad part is like, like I said, an ultrasound is like the cheapest, lowest end of the spectrum. You have MRI machines which sell for millions of dollars, which are much more insanely priced and you need to charge much more to make your money back on those. But um, getting back to on point here, right now, I don't know how doctors handle this stuff. I believe that MRI data is saved, but I don't know about ultrasounds, but that's one potential improvement that could be made with the advent of AI and data storage is every time a doctor scans someone, those scans could be saved and then ran through an AI, which could then basically go through and with the help of actual trained technicians who like spot Um, There's actually a phrase for this. I can't remember what it is, though. Radiologists? No, I don't think that's right. It might be. That might just just be for x-rays. But the field of medicine devoted to basically looking at imagery and identifying potential issues. So um, you could use your imagery to basically scan all these people. And then once you scan them, you could download this data into an AI and then have an AI basically do its thing and run through, with the help of humans to train it, all of the scan data. And then eventually doing this enough, the AI would develop the ability to start identifying issues that um, are problems, like we'll say tumors or clots or whatever scan people look at, I guess. So, you could train an AI to do this for you. And then that AI, once again, could become the best AI at identifying problem areas on scans in the world. And then the AI AI could basically be funneled all of the scan data from the whole entire country and do all the analysis. So, basically, you're guaranteed that you have the best possible doctor looking at your scans. So that if there's something wrong with them, you will know about it. And of course, over time, once again, hopefully as scan technology continues to develop imaging technology continues to develop. Hopefully the price of that will go down, which will generate, make it more feasible to have scans. And that's kind of like, in addition to like the sequencing we mentioned earlier, that's kind of the other prong of this whole entire like diagnostics part of medicine that we could potentially see in the near future is that, um, Imaging could turn from something that's like done on a necessity basis, like basically, like for an example, using the brain tumor case. Say you've been having a headache for the last couple of months, and it's getting progressively worse, and you have some accompanying dizziness, some nausea, some um, pressure differences, like it hurts more in one position than the other. So you go in and you tell your doctor about this, and then, um, you know. During your yearly physical, and your doctor is like, uh, sounds like you just have a migraine. And so then he basically tells you, if it gets worse, come back and we'll take another look. So now, as opposed to the current system, all right, it's a, uh, retract, rewind a couple seconds. Come back, we'll take another look, and then we'll schedule an MRI if we think we need it. So now, in the current system, an MRI is scheduled, like the, the, the supply of available MRIs is so low such that um, a person basically like has to get on a calendar and has to show up on that date and get the scan. And if you, you could have a life-threatening condition and there might be a system in place to bump people to the front of the list, but every time you bump a person to the front of an MRI scan list, you push people back who might also have the same potential life-threatening issue that needs to be scanned. And so it's kind of a shit show. is, gosh, I'm really doing bad with the cussing today. Uh, retract that last one too. Um, basically, um, if you have a bottleneck in scanning, you end up with doctors having to treat it like a scarce resource. And as a result, they don't use it as much as they could. And so in a world in which we had an AI doing all of the imagery work to offload it from humans, and then we had um, much more readily available scanning technology, instead of your first step when doctoring being to go to your doctor, maybe your first step would be to go to a scanner and get scanned, and then after you're scanned, your scan info would be run through like diagnostics. And then at that point, you would actually meet with your primary care provider for the first time to actually go over your scan results and talk about what the machine found. So that's kind of one possibility that we could potentially see. And I think like the pinnacle of scanning technology and diagnostic technology in general would be kind of something similar to like The uh, scanny Healy machine that you see in Elysium that was on the orbital satellite habitat thing Mm -hmm. that everyone worked so hard to get to. That's pretty much the pinnacle of medical scanning technology is a system that would be non-invasive, capable of dealing with people who have metal implants. Because that's the limiting factor with MRIs right now, is the fact that they use massive magnetic fields, the likes of which you can't have anything metal in the near vicinity or else you're going to have a very bad day. Sorry, I got sidetracked. I was thinking about um, the possibility of induction heating in someone's fillings as a result of an MRI, but I might have to Google that after I'm done talking with you guys, but... I digress. The uh, point here is that far future. So near future is basically the integration of AI into the systems and then increasing capacity would be where scanning could go far future would be a system that uses better scanning technology that's more accurate, up to the point where like it could basically make like a map of your body down to the molecular level and do it in real time so that doctors could basically get like a 3D video of your body going through its processes. And I think it would technically be possible like using spectro, spectro, I can't even say the word, the branch of science that uses the way light interacts with matter to determine the type of matter it's interacting with. Spectroscopy maybe, I don't know. Pronunciations are hard too. The whole entire English language is kind of hard, but um, long-term, that could be where scanning technology kind of goes, where a scanner could single-handedly do all of your testing and single-handedly diagnose whatever's wrong with you. But anyway, we're out of time for this episode. So um, first of all, thank you for listening. This was another episode of Stop to Think. In the next episode, I think we'll continue this conversation, but we're going to go to more of the treatment end of the spectrum. So once again, have a great day and thank you for listening.